On this week's episode of Deal and Extend, we talk about what to do with those fantastic pictures you've taken on the software side and in Linux. of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 31 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversation from the DLN community, like the discourse forums, telegram groups, discord server, and so much more. We also gather topics from around the network on the variety of shows that we've got right here. Hey, uh, Matt, Wendy, I'm really sorry about this, guys, but um, I'm in the Wapusk National Park, hot on the trail of a charmeleon. I understand this is a distant cousin of a geeko, the open Seuss chameleon, and I'm on a mission to find out. So I'll, I think this is going to be a winner. Hey, everyone. I'm Wendy, and with me is my fantastic host, Matt, and crazy hardware enthusiast. Unfortunately, Nate is not with us again this week, but he is still out and about having all kinds of fun traveling the world in his crazy way. How are you doing this week, Matt? I'm doing great, Wendy. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Anything fun? <clears throat> actually, actually, just like what you were doing with your recent video on the Destination Linux YouTube channel, I actually am messing around with some hardware, specifically a tablet. Unlike you, though, I am not trying to use the, what, what did you use? A Fire HD 8, I believe, was what you used? Yeah, Fire HD 8 2018 edition. Um, so the mod that I showed can only work with that model. So if you have a newer model, there may not be a mod for it. Or if you have a later model, you'll have to find a different tutorial. But it was a lot of fun. So what do you have? Well, what I am using is actually, for those Linux peers, is a real Linux tablet. And I don't mean the Pine tab, unfortunately. Um, this is the HP touchpad with WebOS. I'm currently, I got this for like uber cheap. Oh. I, th I think I got this for like $30. Like it was, it was an uber cheap tablet. Like I, I view tablets as more meaty consumption. So this is the 64 gig model, which is like uber hard to find, at least when they were available. And unfortunately, the servers for the activating WebOS is not available anymore. So in order to bypass that, you have to do a little hackery to make it work. You have to do a lot of this. Unfortunately, the biggest thing I found is that it, most of the applications to do this are Windows. <laughs> So I find it a bit ironic that, I mean, you, you can, you can probably do this in the terminal. I'm not saying you can't <laughs> just for me. It's, this is the like barrier to entry. I just want the lowest one possible. So yeah. I've been messing around trying to get that reactivated. So that that's been my adventure and it's been interesting. I forgot how much I dislike Java though. My biggest experience with Java has been the kids playing Minecraft. Other than that, you know, I mean web when it was all over the web, but mm -hmm. nope. No, definitely not. But the one thing I can say is, man, I still love the fluidity in WebOS on good hardware is really good. I'm not going to lie. But the thing I'm looking forward to on top of that, though, is when my Convergence Edition Pine phone gets here, I'm going to be trying out Luna OS, which is the open source continuation of WebOS. 
So I figured I better dive back into WebOS a little bit so I can get reacclimated with it. And how that kind of workflow is and where to find things about that fun stuff. So are you able to put a different ROM on this tablet or you're just trying to get the darn thing activated to use it? You can, uh, I believe you can get up to Android 9 on these if you want to, you know, the like what I don't know about lineage. I know you can get like the open source Android stuff on here. I'm just not a, I'm not a ROM hacker as far as that. It's just not my thing. Some people it is, some people it isn't. Just not my thing. So I just pulled up that HP touchpad on XDA developers, and that's absolutely one of the best websites to find ROMs. And I see it got a few going on, but really there's no active development. Yeah, something tells me the hardware is probably, I mean, we're talking like old, like 2011? 2011, 2012. I don't exactly remember when it came out, but we're talking, it's long in the tooth. I mean, I've seen ROMs for it and people do stuff with it, but like I'm more of a, <clears throat> when it comes to like these kind of tablets, I'm more of a default experience kind of guy. So, yeah. and like I said, with WebOS, being on here and me really being interested in, in Luna OS for the Pine phone, it just makes more sense for me to keep WebOS on here so I can get not totally reacclimated to it, but get a better familiarity with it because it's been a long time since I've used WebOS. That's unfortunately one I never used. It was here and gone before I got a chance to have a device play with it. And that's kind of a bummer because I've heard great things about it. You've probably used WebOS and don't realize it because a lot of the features are well no actually what happened is things like the as an example the card stack in android like the the new way they do it um that is very web os because they used to use things called card stacks or stacks and applications would stack up in a stack of cards and that's how you multitask you swipe up to kill off applications it it was a it was a very cool way uh a lot of the not the slide out menus, but like the swipe away for notifications on Android. Very, very basic now for like an Android phone, like what in your notifications display. That didn't used to be a thing. Now you can actually do this. That's how WebOS used to do it. You just swipe away the applications. Very nice. That That's cool that some of those positive features have been saved and reutilized in the remaining operating systems. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we do, this is why I like weird hardware. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. So, Wendy, what have you been up to, though? Well, first, I've got to give the Windows update. And I decided to just go ahead and install Windows on its own drive on the laptop. The laptop my daughter's using, it was originally supposed to be my laptop and it didn't take long before it's my daughter's now um, and, and has been for quite a while. I mean, like, is that someone that she would game on? It's big enough. It's not like very portable, but it's great for, for this kind of stuff. So it's got two different drives in it. Windows is on one drive. Linux is on another. So for that class, she can boot directly into Windows on full hardware. And then I don't have to worry about updates or virtual box or any of that causing issues when she's in the middle of class. Because there's nothing like, for the most part, all of her schoolwork, she can do very independently. And then the other three, I have to 
help along the road. And so it's nice to just be able to, she's like, I'm going to go do this class and she can go do her thing and I can help the other three and only answer when she's got a question here or there. It would be a royal huge bump in the day if all of a sudden I needed to take half hour, 45 minutes to troubleshoot when there's other stuff that I needed to do. Not saying I won't have to do that with Windows anyway along the road, but it won't be because of some other software that I've got to figure out what's what's going on. So it's on its own drive. She's been plugging away at this Minecraft class, having a whole lot of fun with it. That class supposedly goes throughout the year, but it's a self-paced class. There's six modules and she's already through like one and a half of them. So I'm pretty sure she'll be done with that class this semester and we can take Windows off of it and it'll just be a Linux laptop again. (laughs) (laughs) So I do have a question in regards to that though. What happens if she says, mom, I want to keep Windows? Out of curiosity, I know I'm just, I know you're a Linux household, but I got to (laughs) ask. If she asks, if she decides she wants to keep Windows on the laptop, that she likes it better, she can do that. She has to learn how to maintain it. Then she's got to learn how to maintain it. Nothing wrong with that. Self-sufficiency can be very yep. good. Um, I think basic basic maintenance on any OS, doesn't matter if it's Windows, Mac, Linux, you know, whatever, take your pick, is something that is should be not a requirement, but definitely taught better than it is. You know, most people are like yeah. Yeah, most people give it to a computer or somebody they go, hey, fix it. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> not exactly the way to <laughs> my, do my it. My husband's very much that way as my phone's not working. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> one of those oh, but, I mean, okay. as far as the computer goes she's going to need to know how to update it all of that stuff anyway I think that's any more part of the basic life lessons that kids need when they leave the house right when they leave my house they need to know how to be able to do their own laundry cook their own food and one of those things on that list is be able to maintain their technology but speaking, <laughs> but speaking of hardware you are also looking at we're Aren't you looking at other hardware too? Like the the get? Yeah. Yeah. So last time we talked, I was thinking about those Windows Surface Pros laptop. And the the more I've looked at them, the more I absolutely love the idea of them. And it's, you know, the overall size, the fact that they have a real CPU. And I, I'm not saying that ARM isn't quote unquote a real CPU. There's some great devices that run on ARM. It more comes down to um, they're already designed for a heavier workload, and there's so much more out there that can be run on a device with an X64 processor in it, as opposed to an ARM processor. So I, I absolutely love them. Unfortunately, I will not be able to start buying them until the end of September, until the end of this month. And Technology has been so absolutely crazy the last four, five months that I don't know if I will be able to find them at the right price when I'm able to start purchasing them. But right now, that's the goal. And the Pro 3 is actually one I found a pretty good deal on. There's quite a few of them that have 8 gigs of RAM. You can find a ton of them with 4 gigs. And because everything is soldered on and the RAM can't be upgraded, that's one thing I've been a little bit more of a stickler on. Anything that's got less than eight gigs of RAM, I'm horribly hesitant 
to buy as far as laptop wise. It doesn't take long, especially when most of your workflow is in a browser for RAM to really start getting eat up. Most of the stuff the kids will be doing won't be on a direct program. It'll be through a browser window while they're doing it. My daughter, it'll be multiple tasking, multiple windows as she's researching, writing papers and that kind of thing. So having at least eight gigs of RAM is one of those requirements that I am not willing to skimp out on. Yeah, uh, definitely speaking, you know, because originally for a long time, I added a Surface Pro 2 as as my uh, full like production machine like that was the i had a i had a gaming laptop but i also like my linux production machine was a surface pro too and yeah go uh, you i had spare laptops that were like four gigs of ram you know an ssd but going to the four to eight it's like it's a big like it's a big difference, especially anything Chromium based for for browsers. Um, you know, Chrome likes RAM. Chrome likes RAM, and for the most part, all the kids run Firefox. That that's kind of we are a Linux household. We're pretty much a Firefox also household. We run Firefox on our mobile devices as well. So that, that helps a little bit. But web browsers in general are just they're RAM hogs. They eat RAM like there's no tomorrow. And next thing you know, you've got 20 tabs open if you're researching different things, working on this project, leaving this tab open so you can come back to it. And it's like, holy crap, why is my computer slowing down? Oh, you're doing all your work in a browser. This episode of DLN Extended is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. DigitalOcean recently announced new features and services such as a virtual private cloud in all regions, free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container registries is now available to all users. Easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean's Kubernetes. You can get all of this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Get started on DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And you can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even some monster-sized droplets for two months. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Well, we've just had a really fun discussion on hardware and some of the different things you can do with it. On top of this hardware, we also need to install our photography software. And while typically the goal with photography, especially if you're creating images, is to try and do it right in camera, but as we know, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we bump things, things get set wrong. Or in the case of my camera body, um, if you're using the meter, the light meter inside of it, it has a tendency to take darker images in general. So you think based on the light meter that you're using in camera and the way it looks on the back of the camera, that it's going to be properly exposed. You get it onto the computer, and it just doesn't look as bright as it needs to be. Or 
you're wanting to blend different images together. Well, what do you do with that? What software is available for somebody who doesn't want to run proprietary software? They don't want to install Windows or have a Windows VM in order to run the stuff that is widely used in this field. What what options are available? And I'd say I've talked about it a thousand times. You'll hear me talk about it a thousand times more Darktable for me is king. And why is it king? Yes, I have struggled with out-of-the-box color profiles on it. I'm working on that. But it is such an extremely powerful raw photo editor. It has most tools. It has so many tools, I don't even know what to do with all of them. And then it comes down to fine-tuning. Darktable gives you ability to take a module and then select a certain part of that image that is only going to be affected by that module inside Darktable. It gives you so many options, so much fine-tuning that it, it has to be my absolute overall favorite because it is a powerhouse. The downside of it, it's a little bit harder to learn. It's it's overwhelming. And I know I think I've heard you talk about it. I know I've heard other people mention both um, creators on the network and people in the community. And it was my first experience when I opened Darktable. You fire it up, you select an image, and then, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming to see all these different things. And the naming scheme is not like they're named in Adobe. So if you've come over from there, it's like, I, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where to start. And there is a very large learning curve when starting Darktable. So I would say that that's one of its biggest disadvantages. But holy crap, does it have so many more advantages. It also has photo management. So you can use it to download your images from your camera, your SD card, whatever media you're using. And be able to choose which file folder it's going into. And it's got some basic naming there. Overall, photo management side, it it does a pretty good job for what it is. But I'd have to say my top period for photo management would be Rapid Photo Downloader. This is another one I've talked about before. But it is so amazing. And, And not saying that the... The tools in general are things that you're like, wow, I never would have thought about that. It's the way the developer has gone about putting it all together. So you can choose what file the pictures and video, because this also handles video, pictures and video will be saved under. You can automatically send stuff to a backup. So when I'm looking at my downloads, I have things go into a year-based folder. And then inside that year-based folder, there's a month and a job tag, which is another really great feature about raw therapies. You can give photos, folders, job tags, which can be changed every time you go to download. It asks, what job tag do you want to use? You type it in and go ahead and download. Do you want to save this job tag for next time? Yes, no. So is it a one-time thing? Ah, it doesn't need to save it. Am I going to be using this tag again? Yep, save it. So I could just select it from the drop-down list. So then if I'm saying we've spent three days in the mountains camping, 
I give it a job tag for that camping trip or just name it family. For family stuff, I just like to name things family unless it's a specific special occasion that I want to be able to reference back to again. And then every picture I've taken of the family is all in that month folder. Or if it's job related, it's got the company name in it. I'm doing pictures for that company over a week, over a month. I can quickly reference and edit those photos from that job tagged folder. That job tag also goes in the naming scheme. There is, it's such an incredible way to organize your images, not only in file structure, which that's highly important to be able to find things. If you can't find your pictures, what good are they? And then to be able to name them in a way that is best use case for you. So having the date in there, choosing how the numbering scheme works. That's why I bring that one up because there's there's some of these others that I'll talk about throughout the scheme that also do photo management. But if you're doing a mass download or frequent downloads of images where you need to keep track of them by job code, there's no doubt about it. Rapid photo is amazing when it comes to that. Now, I know, Matt, you and I have talked quite a bit the last little while about raw therapy and of the most powerful photo editors. This is one of the ones I'd say, yeah, it's it's pretty good for for newbies, especially people coming over from Adobe. You would also say that this is probably the best one that gives you the best color profile for humans, too. <laughs> yes, I mean, it has, and not even humans. For food, I've seen, you know, great color profile coming out of it directly for food items and that kind of thing. Color management wise, color profile wise, beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. So my question is, how how hard is it to get the color profiles you're getting in raw therapy in, say, dark table? Because that's going to be a yes. lot more, that, that's a lot more manual tweaking, I'm assuming. Well, some of it is they use um, some of the same back end, but it's how it's being pulled and implemented in the front end. And so I haven't, unfortunately, with all the craziness lately, had time to really deep dive into how to get those same color profiles automatically applied in Darktable as they are in raw therapy. But in general, the different modules in raw therapy are named in a way that it's really easy for somebody who's come from um, say something like like Adobe or maybe a different photo manipulation program be like, oh, I know what that is. Oh, I can figure out the adjustment sequence of that. So that that's definitely an advantage for them. And I'm not saying they're not powerful because raw therapy is still a, a powerful raw editor. It has great integration with GIMP where you can just say, okay, I've done my editing here. There's further tweaks I need to do. Send this image over to GIMP. GIMP automatically opens. You can see the image that you've made your adjustments to there and continue working on it, whether that's adding layers to it, doing some dust removal, whatever you need to do. Raw Therapy has that integration with this additional workflow program for your advantage. And I, I have to say, you know, I love them both. Where's my dark therapy? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that that does bring up a good point because you know we always hear about the the workflow of the the Adobe Suite where it's like one program flows into the to the next. That, that's the that's the selling point that you always hear, right? Yeah. So having used raw therapy and that 
ability to import directly into GIMP or insert photo editor here. Um, what is, is that something you would like to see more of? Like, yeah, absolutely. And it's because while I do most of my personal editing in rapid or in dark table or raw therapy, there are times where I do need to have it pulled into another photo editor because it is, I've got dust to remove or the background I'm using. I, I use a lot of tile in photo backgrounds and I like to remove the the lines between the tile in post. I do that in GIMP. Sometimes I'll layer, especially if it is um, a food-related image where I haven't had control over cooking the whole thing myself and I need to overlay it with different colors on top. So I'll have four or five different adjustments of the image where I've compensated for certain things. And instead of taking the time to just highlight certain areas, I will make kind of extremes of each, bring that all together in a photo editor like GIMP, and then slowly merge the two together to get the most natural looking and best color options available. And when I know that I can just send this image over and GIMP will open on its own. That's one less step. That's just a little bit of time saving in the overall workflow that makes it easier for me to continue doing what I need to do and do it just a little bit faster. Yeah, I was going to say, and I, I think that's people, I think a lot of people don't seem to understand that that little bit of time is the thing that adds up, Absolutely. especially when it comes to the like these massive projects and stuff that can where you need to bounce back and forth where you might need to edit a photo in GIMP and then send it back over to say raw therapy or dark table or insert, you know, preferred um, photo manipulation stuff. I think seeing more of that kind of integration would be really, really cool on the photography side, like a lie on the video side or the audio yeah. side as well. But no, that is, that is definitely a cool feature that I wish more applications and more people would kind of follow along with. Cause I think the only other application I know that does something similar, I believe is, I can't remember if it's the Lightworks feeds into Reaper or Reaper feeds into, I think it's Lightworks feeds into Reaper. And, th- and those are both proprietary applications, obviously, but that is still a cool thing. And yeah. that, so I'd love to see more apps to have that kind of, oh, hey, we detected this, you know, photo manipulation program, you know, GIMP or Glimpse or PhotoFlare or whatever one you want to use. And it, w- it could send it to that to do what you need to there. And the application that it sends to can send it back to the, you know, the, the tweaked photo can get sent back to say dark table or raw therapy. Yeah. It, it's definitely an amazing feature that needs to be shared through more. And there's now a few regularly used photo programs, photo editing programs. And I'm not saying that you need to have everyone included, but starting with just some of the major ones and fitting those in and adding that as part of the overall workflow, getting some of that cohesiveness between programs is such an absolute advantage. You are the one who introduced me to LightZone. And like I said, I I played with it a little bit. And as far as it does handle raw photo editing. So if you're wanting to get in, just make a couple tweaks where it comes to, you know, changing the lighting a little bit, whatever, and you're overwhelmed by both Darktable and raw therapy, LightZone definitely has the ability to handle that. 
The biggest downside I found to this one, and it's not the UI itself, it's that you open certain modules and it automatically applies settings, which I am so not used to in things like raw therapy and dark table. And then I'm trying to figure out, okay, what, what did it turn on and how do I turn these off? And I looked in preferences and could not figure out a way to do that. So while light don't zone has some great basic raw editing features that on the surface look like they would be perfect for someone who's just wanting to get a few things done. uh, Someone who's new to raw photo editing in general Right now, as it stands, it's not one that I can recommend because I found the automatic setting, certain settings when you open a tab, really confusing, really frustrating, and not having ability, at least an easy ability, to turn that off says that it may be a program I recommend in the future, but as its current state, not one that I would install for someone or recommend that they currently install. Oh, I was going to say, that's the, the adventure of trying new software, though, isn't it? You know? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, some of it sounds like more of a, from your not used to how that particular program workflow works. Yeah, some of it was not used to how that particular program works, but I don't like it when, say, so every time I opened Raw Therapy or Darktable and I went to the color corrections tab, it all of a sudden started making color corrections before I'd even turned on that module or made any of my settings. And then it's like, holy crap, what did it do? Why is it doing that? I didn't want grain added to this picture. Why is there grain added to this picture? I didn't want it to be grayscale. Why is it already grayscale? And so that is not only are you, you click on a tab to see what adjustments are available, adjustments are already being made. And then you have to go and figure out what was applied and how to remove what you don't want. That's a frustrating workflow. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I can definitely see how that can be frustrating. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I said, because um, there are a few other, I know there are a few other applications that I'm curious that your what your take would be. Some of them are proprietary, but you know, uh, we'll, we'll maybe do a compare another comparison down the line. Um, Sounds yeah. good. And I'm not opposed to using proprietary software. I love open source software and having software that's available for um, anybody to use and that has great support from both developers and community. But I can understand why some software goes proprietary and, and some of it is the funding model in order to just be able to continue developing this thing that they're passionate for. And it's, I want to say, easier way of funding it, but I wouldn't say that it's actually more of a, a straightforward way of funding that project is to have it proprietary and then, you know, you just buy your license. So there, there's still some great software out there, photography software out there that's proprietary. One of the biggest advantages of open source software is that anyone from the professional to, I just got my first camera that can shoot in RAW. How do I edit them? It's open to everybody. Yeah, the barrier to entry is not there. Well, I don't want to say it's not there. That's more of a learning barrier to entry because you have to yeah. actually figure out how to use the tools <laughs> to do this yeah. stuff. But, <laughs> but that comes with any software, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. you always have to learn the software. So, yeah, and I definitely agree that, like, hey, 
I have, you know, these point and point and shoot photos that I want to, you know, to insert like Sony cyber shots or, you know, whatever that still make digital cameras for those that do, um, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, cell phone photos to make them better. Um, take your pick. So I think that's, that's really the, the photography has, I don't want to say been the barrier to entry has been lowered, but I think with the open source software plus basically every every phone, everything has a camera attached to it now. Um, yeah. And yeah. I, I think it helps potentially bring out more artists, more creativity, and more stuff like that is showing a different perspective of the world is really cool. And, and I would actually agree that barrier to entry in general has decreased because just about everybody has a camera in their pocket. Is it always the best camera? No. But one of the joys in photography itself is the joy of creating and using the tools that you have and your ability to manipulate light and how things are seen that makes photography so fantastic. Now, as far as photo management, though, there we can go beyond basic as far as, or we went beyond basic. So let's look at maybe some more basic stuff, you know, red eye removal or something like that. What what kind of programs would you potentially recommend for that? Well, one of the ones that I have my in-laws using is actually Shotwell. It's been on their computer now, well, basically since Linux started. It's got some fantastic photo management tools where they take their SD card out of their camera, they pop it into what used to be their their laptop. Now um, the mini HP PC that we have mounted on their bar between the dining room and kitchen, they can pop that in, Shotwell automatically opens up for them, will download all of the new stuff. And as part of its basic setup, it will also, it'll, already take images and put them into folders based on the year and month. And it will allow you to be like, okay, you got all these pictures from the same thing. Do you want to add an event tag to them? And it allows you to do other things as you know, general tagging, make it easier for you to find. And overall photo management, it does a great job for that kind of thing. And it has some of the basic editing features. It does say that it can handle raw stuff, but you know, if you're wanting to, to crop, just remove some red eye, that kind of thing. Shotwell has you covered from getting the pictures off your camera card all the way to, hey, I want to share this on social media, clean it up this way. And you have a direct link to share it to whatever social media page you want to send it to. It's a nice all-in-one package that has run extremely well for them in my experience and is one I would definitely recommend to other people to use. Now, for those of us on the KDE front or Plasma front, because obviously Shotwell is, uh, shall we say, GTK heavy. (laughs) That it is. It is very, very much so a GTK. And it was all, it came pre-installed on, oh, good heavens. What did I have them on? Uh, Mate. I had them on Ubuntu Mate. So that, that was what came with it. That was my first experience with it. So that's a GTK desktop. It came with a GTK photo manager that, that runs fantastic. It was a great default choice for that desktop. Yeah, definitely. So what would you recommend for those of us on Plasma? On the other side, there is 
Digicam. So it has a lot of those same features. It'll handle really large collections. It can help you set up your albums. You can tag things. I believe you can even set location like you can in Shotwell. It it gives you that really nice, well-rounded, I want to get my pictures off the camera, save them to my computer, make some simple edits, which one of the cool things is, is it uses the XMP files for metadata. So if you've ever looked at files that you've edited um, in Darktable, they come with little XMP files that saves that metadata. And Digicam uses that same feature. So if you move, let's say I'll reset my system and go to open dark table again, I can tell it, hey, look for newer versions of that XMP file. When you open it up, it'll read those XMP files and I'll import whatever changes that I made to it that are non-destructive or you know, changes I've made to metadata, all of that stuff, it'll automatically bring that in to my photo editing software. So that is a really cool feature that Digicam has. Like any of the others I've talked about, it's one of those that's still being developed. You don't have to be on, you don't have to be running Plaza in order to use it. But it's another one of those that I haven't seen any issues with. I haven't used this one too much myself, but I've heard really good things about it from other people in the community. And that's one of those great all-in-one. I have some stuff I need to do. You can quickly do it. Share it on your social media pages. Send it in an email, whatever you need to do. And then you can quickly find your images again. Because as I said before, what gutter pictures, if you can't find them, you want to look at that past stuff, you can quickly get to them again. I always enjoy the wide nature of a lot of the the different levels, I guess is what I'm saying as far as like how far you want to go into your editing and your photo management because most people will probably be content with something like Digicam or Shotwell because, you know, it's like, oh, I need to crop this and I need to do red eye removal or whatever. Or, you know, you have a step up like something like you mentioned, something like LightZone or uh, some other applications. And then you have like the the more heavy hitters like, you know, Darktable and Raw Therapy and whatnot. So I I think that's that staggered kind of like level of getting into it is really cool to have. Um, Whereas like something like on other OSs, it's not always it's not always as clear cut because it's like oh this is for you know the newbies and it's like uh yeah but it's really 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 basic yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) and for these i guess quote unquote more basic ones like shotwell and digicam their main focus is on your photo management, which is so important, but it also gives you these additional features. So if you want to make changes, you don't have to leave that program to do it. And if you are starting out with RAW or wanted to make a couple changes with a RAW image, you still have those available to you in either one of those programs without having to move, without having to leave it. They're really nice, I guess you'd say, all-in-one kind of wrap-up programs. Yeah, which a lot of, that's what a lot of end users want. It's just kind of, yeah. A, yeah, you have people like, you know, enthusiasts, you have people who do it professionally like you, and then you have just people who are like, I don't really care. <laughs> And they just yeah. need basics, <laughs> you know, very, very, very minimalist requirements as far as what they need. So 
um, like I said, I always enjoy hearing some of that. Uh, one of the, the applications that I heard you mention before, though, was PhotoFlow. Not one I'm totally familiar with. It's one that's kind of down there on the radar. So there, there's kind of two programs that are the last on my list. We have PhotoFlow and Photux, I guess would be the best way to pronounce that one. They're both currently being developed. They're not being developed super quickly by any means. And especially if you look at Photux's website, you might think it hasn't been developed since 1999. But... That's giving 1990... They, they, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I just looked at that website. That's giving 1999 websites a bad name. Oh, okay. Okay. It's, well. it's, it's giving GeoCities websites a bad name too, because wow, does that need an update? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not- the, the website definitely needs an update. Their focus is not on their website by any means. But both of these programs, to me, they don't fit with Shotwell or Digicam because they are not focused on helping you with photo management at all. But they are in that realm of doing some basic editing. You can do some of that basic editing in a program kind of like GIMP, but it's one of those where the learning curve can be really high trying to figure out where everything is because it's not that program's main focus. And in both PhotoFlow and Photox, their main goal is just helping you get some simple editing done on their images and then being able to enjoy them. Yeah, I was going to say, from looking at it, it's very, I mean, the the UI is not terrible. It's just, uh, I would definitely say this is somewhere below something like GIMP, but definitely somewhere above the the basics of like a shot well or that kind of stuff, which, I mean, from what I'm seeing, you can add like certain filters and that kind of stuff too. Yeah, yeah, they, they give you those, which to me, any more filters seems to be a pretty basic feature. Anybody who's done a lot of cell phone photography um, and you're trying to cover up maybe some bad lighting or some blurriness of the camera, that kind of thing. You know, people are expecting some type of filter and, and that kind of thing to add to it, which you can do a little bit of that inside of like Darktable. Darktable has a set of like pre, I can't remember what they call them at the moment, but but looks that you can pre-apply to stuff. You can download them from their website. So you can get that kind of across the board, but these are both not something I've directly played with myself, but things that I've heard good things about and they give you an entry to, hey, I'm wanting to make some adjustments and wanting to learn kind of how this works and they both fit that that genre of photo editing we've heard on the hardware addict side about you know camera hardware and all the other fun stuff that you and ryan get to talk about you know sony mirrorless cameras and like nikon versus uh, canon versus sony and all the other all, all the other fun conversations that happen with that stuff but i think with that being so hardware focused that this gives kind of a, a different take on what you can do with Linux for photo software and that, that missing piece. Cause like you said, a lot of the stuff ideally is done on camera, but in reality, a, a, there's still a lot that goes on in the software side too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you can have different styles of photography where you take things and, and your overall style is the way it looks 
post-processing. So yeah, you do some of that work in camera, but I've seen amazing images that were done with all kinds of editing. And it gives this really dreamy, whimsical, sometimes nightmarish type look. And that in and of itself is another form of art. And we need both the hardware and the software for this art to come together and meet our creative needs. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden, the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital, sensitive information. It is not only open source, but has also had third-party auditing on the source code. This is why I've chosen Bitwarden for my password manager. It's easy to get started. Just go to bitwarden.com DLN. The big question is, why do I need a password manager? And that's a good one. Why do you? Well, I'll tell you. Using password123 on all your accounts is just not a good security practice. Also, having the same password for everything is a terrible idea. Remembering all the variations is nearly impossible unless you have some kind of a super memory. And a super memory is something I do not have. And storing passwords on sticky notes or in a spiral-bound notebook is not only inconvenient, it also is a bit lacking in security efficacy. Therefore, I have chosen Bitwarden. This is a password book that I can take with me anywhere. I can have it on different computers, different browsers, on my mobile not only is it a safe place for passwords, but also identity and financial account information as well. This feature got me out of a pretty serious jam recently when I had an issue with some safety controls on one of my accounts. I needed to use another card to pay for the rest of the service. Since I didn't take that card with me anywhere, I didn't have it on me, but I did store the information on Bitwarden. I remembered I did this, so I pulled up that account information, paid for the service, and ultimately prevented what could have been a serious life interruption. You can get started with Bitwarden by going to bitwarden.com DLN. It's free to use, but if you want to level up and go for the premium features for only $10 a year, not only will you support a great open source project, but also you will unlock premium password security and management features. Bitwarden has saved my bacon numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it out of my cold, dead device. We'd like to thank Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Well, I think we've probably spent enough time on photography software for this week. Matt, what game have you found for us? You make it sound like I'm totally an enabler for making people look at video games that totally work on Linux. I don't know why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would really? never not make game recommendations ever. Actually, this nice potential <laughs> bending the truth, maybe. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm going to re- make a recommendation for a co-op game. Rated M for mature, so you know, know your audience basically. This game is Resident Evil 6. This game is cheesy fun, totally. This, uh, play this with the, the AI assistant partner, not fun. You play this with a friend, totally awesome. Work is rated gold on Proton. It actually works for the most part out of the box. You have to replace some movie files in the, the game directory. And that's it. You, and there's like 15 different reports that link right to where you need to. Normally, I don't recommend those type of games, but this is no different than like dropping a DLL into a Windows game that the DLL doesn't work. So I, I don't view it as anything beyond that. So if you want cheesy, not survival horror fun, more B-movie action game, but with friends, this is definitely the game for for play because uh, the multiplayer works online. Everything works. The graphics are actually still really good even now. Um, and I mean, this is running on. I got this running on a Elite Book Eight Seven Sixty W. 
which is about an eight-year-old machine <laughs> with Mac Heck settings. Yeah. So I love to see games that can play on older hardware. Now, I, GPU dedication or dedicated GPU is definitely recommended still, but the requirements are very, very low if you're looking at it from like a modern, like 2020 technology point of view. So it, great fun. Uh, me and one of my friends, we probably, we played probably 10 hours on one of the campaigns, just having fun with it. And it was, it was a great time. So if you're a Linux gamer that wants some co-op stuff with a, a little hiccup in, in getting the, the game to actually work, because what will happen is it'll just kind of black screen. You'll just sit at a black screen like, hey, I hear music, but I don't see a slick screen. <laughs> That's usually what happens there. Uh, but once you drop that uh, movie folder into the and replace the ones that are in there, works totally fine. And there's there's no hiccups or caching issues or any of that stuff. It just plays really smooth, really good. Oh, uh, literally, it feels like Windows as far as like the performance aspect of it. So really cool game. Uh, usually goes for about 20 bucks, you, though you can usually find it on sale really pretty much. Go to fanatical.com, go to, to Indiegala, G2A, t- take your pick on other sites you want to go to of questionable natures. Um, <laughs> They, but it's a really fun game. So the link will be in the show notes. But I have no weird distros right now. It's been it's been a busy time for a lot of people. So I'll give you some slack on that this week. Oh, only this week. <laughs> so I'm ex- okay, maybe next week we'll see. So so I'm expecting a lot of flack then. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what have you been looking at one day as far as? like interests and stuff. We spent so much time earlier talking about photography software. I'm not going to dive into that on my interest related stuff. I did spend some time on Tuesday this week. Well, I watched the whole thing. The NVIDIA new GPU launch, their 3000 line has now been named. There is no more guessing how much are they going to cost? What are the different specs of them? They're out. And I'm going to save most of this discussion for the upcoming Hardware Attic show. So if you want my deep dive take into what I think about these new graphics cards, am I willing to buy one? Hmm. You're going to have to wait and see and head on over to Hardware Attics for that. But I have to say that it was a 40-minute long presentation, and it was... About 20 minutes in, I was looking at my watch going, holy crap, guys. I know that a company has to be excited and exciting about their products. They have to have the hype, right? If you're not excited about your product, if you're not hyping it up, then your company's going to fail. You're not going to sell anything, and then you can't continue to make more stuff. But it just felt like the overall presentation, a launch of these products could have been so much shorter. And, and, you know, for the most part, they did a good job. There were some great graphics. Um, I do have to say that it was really weird for the 3090 to be pulled out of his oven. And I'm not joking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it's hot and ready to go as far as... It's um, hot and ready to go. Okay, so I can't I, remember <laughs> where the 3070 came from. The 3080 um, came from behind. So 
he had a container there with different um, rubber spatulas and that kind of stuff. And it came from back behind there. And I'm like, ah, you know, you're doing this presentation in your kitchen. That That's a decent place to hide it. And then he pulls this $1,400 graphics card out of his oven. And the only thing I can think of, my kid would have walked by and turned that on. <laughs> I guess your oven really would have been baked then as far as your graphics card. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it was it was definitely an interesting presentation and I love seeing new hardware coming out in general and just a quick note the competition that AMD is now having with Nvidia and Intel is really starting to show because the 3080 and 3070 are actually coming down in price overall. And I was so happy to see that while these still, I wouldn't call them budget cards or cheap cards, they came back down into the range that was like, oh, somebody upgrading and needing this for work related because these cards definitely have some, some power punch for work related applications. And so someone needing it for that I would say that they come back down into a price range where it's easier to justify that cost in the upgrade for work-related stuff. I don't know that it's definitely come down enough to justify cost for people that have the last generation NVIDIA card, but yay for the competition, yay for seeing some prices coming down especially in the absolute craziness in prices we've seen over the last six months on technology goods because the demand has been through the roof and supply has gotten pretty low. So here's to hoping that that pricing continues on a positive trend. Yeah, definitely. Because what was it? It was like $1,200, I think, for the like RTX 2080 or 2080 yeah. it was expensive like it why crazy high card yeah like literally as far as expense so like seeing these come down to i think about like what the 700 dollars range if i remember the the presentation yeah, 700 right? range for the 3080 and the 500 dollars range for the 3070 so i'm much more like that to me is still expensive don't get me wrong but yeah it's better than, oh, you want the top of the line? $1,200, please, plus tags. Um, well, the, it, the top of the line for the NVIDIA card is still like, holy crap, you're, you're $1,400. But they are specifically gearing that card towards work-related stuff. Not not your your average gamer. They're looking at game developers, at video editors, at you know, that kind of workload. It is aimed for production and not, I don't want to say just gameplay, but it's not geared towards your average enthusiast. Yeah, basically the the 3090 is basically one of those <laughs> top of the end, you know, AI driven, like, like that's kind of where yeah. that that's heading. Um, so like they're, they're looking at more like the 3080s for, for gamers and that kind of stuff, which I think the $700 price point for like a high end GPU is probably where most gamers are going to sit anyway. 
I do like yeah. the fact that the reason this is happening is because AMD kind of gave them a kick in the pants when uh, they've started with like, you know, since like the Radeon 7 and even even before that, the probably the Vega 64. Ever since yeah. those initial cards, the AMD's cards have gotten better and better and better. I wish some of their Linux support out of the box would improve, <laughs> um, but that's more of a, a distro slash AMD problem that they need to fix. Not so much a like hardware problem, but yeah. that that has definitely helped drive the cost down. And then that that looming potential of Intel getting back in the GPU market um, definitely has kind of skirted a few people as far as uh, pricing and stuff. So I'm curious to see where that's going to go. You look at the Radeon Seven, and I think when it launched, it was around a $700 card, and it was also geared more towards the working creator market with what was built into that card. So AMD now has an answer for that in this 3090 card. And I can't wait to see what AMD is going to use. I mean, AMD has some fantastic cards that are in the budget range that a lot more gamers or people who are wanting a dedicated GPU can afford that's one of the things I appreciate about AMD. And then they're bringing better and better quality to those cards and you're getting more features from them. So that competition between the two is definitely benefiting the consumer here. And I'm excited to see what comes out next from AMD. We'd love to continue the discussion with you on Telegram, Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to contact our social media channels, the shows, creators at destinationlinux.network. And that includes heading over to the Discourse forum and telling me what you think about the different software that's out there. Do you use different software? I really want to know. I need to see and play with all the photo editing software out there, help me out with that. Head over to the discourse form and tell me what you're using. You can find me and my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. And you can find more information about Nate at cubiclenate.com where he's got his regular written browserings, podcasts, and YouTube channel. You can also find me on Instagram with Linux and Lifts. As always, we hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for tuning in. Come back for the next DLN Extend. Have an awesome week, everybody.